What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the BTR podcast. We are joined by a very special guest, our first ever guest analyst on the podcast. It's a bonus episode for you guys. We'll be discussing the FIBA World Cup, a little bit of NBA, Canada basketball mainly. Um, before we introduce them, just a heads up to everyone, a little recap, Canada basketball officially won bronze and they have qualified for the Olympics. We're the best team in North America. <laughs> uh, so without further ado, let me introduce our guest. He covers the Canadian basketball team. At, he was at Jakarta uh, for the FIBA World Cup. He's the host of the Weekend Ball podcast, which you guys check out on the Raptors Republic YouTube channel and Behind the Play podcast where he interviews you know, Canadian media members and others. You could check that out on its own YouTube channel. And he's probably the biggest media celebrity right now for Canada. <laughs> it's Alex Adams joining us today. Thanks, guys. I, I don't know if uh, you're pumping my tires. I don't know if I'm the biggest uh, media celebrity covering Canada basketball. Hey. But thank you for the intro and thanks for having me on. I appreciate you, Alex. Yeah, no, um, I, I got to hype you up a little bit. I've mm-hmm. seen you around Twitter. Yeah, you're the biggest one we have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, how, how are you feeling right now? Right, You're back in Ottawa. Um, the jet lag still there, but then obviously you had to still cover the games in the early morning. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's been, uh, it's been interesting. Um, obviously it didn't help my jet lag that all the games have been at four in the morning, uh, outside the Slovenia game when I came back, but, uh, no, it was a really cool time being around the team. Obviously I was there when they made the Olympics was outside of this USA game, probably the most memorable moment of the tournament for this team. Um, it was really cool for me and like I, I took a video of RJ Barrett you know dancing that got went viral a bit and uh, saw some of the players getting a bit emotional like Dwight Powell um, after that game so just covering the team for about a month and a half I went to their training camp in Toronto as well which was which was really fun um, so yeah just overall it's been an amazing month and a bit for me and uh, a bit life-changing and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on and um excited to to talk a bit about uh this team and they you know as you guys said uh best team in north america which is pretty cool to say and uh-huh. i don't know if i would have expected to say this uh prior to the tournament but they definitely were and they were the better team in that game earlier today and uh what a performance and dylan brooks is gonna be uh an icon in this country for a long time so yeah. that's pretty cool how was jakarta like the city the vibe food everything yeah, no, the, the food was really good. Um, the vibe, it's definitely different from Canada. I'll say that, uh, had a interesting experience on my, my, my first cab, uh, to the hotel. The guy was like, it was the middle of the night and he's swerving back and forth. He looked half awake. I had to like try to wake him up. So that was my welcome to Indonesia moment. Um, but it was a really cool, really, really cool time. And, um, the food was cool. It's a huge city. Like there's just people sprawling everywhere um everyone that has vespas or like little motorcycles like i swear there's more motorcycles than cars in jakarta so uh, <laughs> overall uh it was really fun and just being around the players and um was it was pretty cool made a lot of latvian journalist friends some french journalist friends um even a, a big guy in the soccer world who's brazilian who was there covering brazil for espn so just met a lot of cool people and then became like very close with Arash Madani, which was uh, honestly a, a privilege. And um, he's a he's a really good guy. He's a pretty funny guy too. Um, so went out for meals with him and everything. So he he's a really he's a beauty. And uh, check out his stuff. And he's you know a pro's pro in in this industry. And um, just uh, to see him ply his trade every day in and day out is is pretty cool to see. And uh, for me, it made me feel I'm very far away from that kind of level but uh at the same time um just pretty pretty cool to kind of shoot the shit i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on this you're good you're you're good yeah um to to shoot the shit with him and uh he has stories for days that i I won't share on this podcast but uh he's uh definitely fun to be around and his his camera guy too mario who was a fun time as well who uh, does a lot of the leafs games so that was just really fun and uh definitely learned a lot about the industry and everything else from him and from them both so if I'm like I'm not mistaken, this was your first time live covering Canada basketball. Yeah, no. So um, I have a kind of cool story. I don't know if you guys know who um this guy is, but there's a guy named Scott Witter who's really big in the Canadian basketball oh. um Twitter scene, I guess. And I love this program. I remember watching it in in 2015 in high school when they lost to Venezuela. That 
if you're a Canadian basketball fan, you remember that where they were right there to, to make the Olympics and folded um, and uh, followed this team throughout um, their, their qualification and everything. And basically when the roster was announced, like the original one in early July, um, he, he told me, he, he tweeted out just saying, Oh, it's pretty cheap to, to get to Jakarta. I said, wow, that's cool. Like uh, um, I wish I went cause I, I love the team he said, you know, you should just apply to media. Cause he knew about my behind the play podcast that I started. I applied to FIBA independently um, and then a week and a half later, I got credentials. So this is like late July. And then uh, when I found that out, I was like, okay, I guess I'm getting a, a travel agent and book my hotels and everything. And then I went to um, training camp and in, in at the, I think it started the, the first day of August, which was pretty cool to be in, a, in the Raptors uh, kind of practice gym and um, seeing all the players for the first time. I definitely felt pretty in awe and uh yeah, and then obviously uh, was there for a couple of days, and then um, went to Jakarta. So that's kind of the the quick. That's the Spark Notes uh, kind of version of the story of how I, I covered this team. In terms of media, was it just you and Arash? Yep. Oh, yeah, okay. if, if Scott was there too, but uh, he would always say uh, he was from X dot com because uh, he just applied as Twitter journalist. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he he literally asked Jay a question. Uh, I forget what the question was, but he said, uh, Scott Witter, X.com. And you just saw <laughs> Shea smirk a little bit and laugh. So, um, and he, he left halfway through. So, um, really it was just a rationale. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the program as a whole, because we're kind of new in terms of the program. Um, we noticed a lot of similarities with Canada soccer, which we're kind of more familiar with, but yeah. your overall thoughts as Canada basketball, how are they? improving do they uh, any improvements they need to make on your end any suggestions you have um you know i know you mentioned promoting like i saw you pretty heavy on twitter or x um about that there should be more media members etc mm-hmm. yeah yeah um to, to do i'm a big canada soccer fan as well i was there and when they uh, qualified for the uh the world cup and when they beat jamaica um I would not equate the two organizations uh, as similar. Um, one, they're not beefing with their players. They have okay, a yeah, okay. relationship. <laughs> I just, I just want to put that clear is that it's almost like, it's almost like the, the on the field stuff or on the court stuff has been very similar. Yeah. That's um, what I meant to say. And, uh, but the off the court stuff's very different, right? Like I, I developed a quite a good relationship with Mike Bartlett, um, cares about the players, um, gave them first class, everything like they chartered them when they were, doing their friendlies and everything um unlike uh, canada soccer that has jonathan david in uh, economy so it, it's very different uh organizations but um what was your what was your original question sorry uh, like, like your thoughts as a whole um any improvements they could make uh like maybe suggestions you might have to that you would like to see uh specifically i guess promoting uh canada basketball yeah i think it's more from maybe other outlets so uh, as you mentioned just it only being Arash and I, right? Being down there in Jakarta, Arash was the only Canadian journalist at the games in in Manila. And uh, I believe Slovenia had 11 journalists. So, um, and maybe Slovenia is like three, four million people. Maybe I'm a bit off, but they're not that big of a country, right? And they are sending all this, all these media members. Now that's more of an indictment of where the media landscape is in Canada, as you guys would know as well. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of opportunities. There's not a lot of organizations really kind of investing in, in sports and in specifically in Canada basketball. So um, I think that's more of an indictment on where the industry is in this country rather than necessarily um, anything else. Um, and in terms of Canada basketball, the the organization, their first class, um, I, I, I mean, sure maybe there's little things that i don't really know or don't have the purview like i'm not behind the scenes with the players but um the fact that they got them insured which people don't know is to insure nba contracts is a lot of money and canada basketball and mike bartlett really like i'm sure they were in significant debt if they weren't to make this olympics and um now that they have i know talking to him personally that he has um kind of things lined up to maybe make that money back so um, I think Canada basketball should be now in a good place financially. Um, and uh, 
yeah, uh, I think on the court, obviously you see they made the Olympics and um, they haven't in a long time and give credit to Rowan Barrett for, for bring, doing the three-year commitment that clearly were, and they had continuity and they kept talking about being there in, in Jakarta about the players. Have to, like I know one another, we've been together for a long time. We have these relationships. It's not like the USA where they just put three Villanova players and then the rest of the team um, together. And, and so it's a bit different between those kind of programs, but uh, they got to the Olympics, they got a medal. I think it's a, it was a pretty fantastic uh, tournament for Canada and really feels like a stepping stone for the program and for men's basketball in this country uh, going forward. Uh, have you like watched the redeem team? Yeah. Yeah. I have. Yeah. What'd you like say? The like documentary? Similar, yeah. What'd you say is like similar to that? Like with a three-year commitment and like how they yeah, different um, a little bit because Jamal Murray wasn't there and other people weren't there. So I think there was actually a bit more commitment from the redeem team. Um, but yeah, it's the similar kind of ethos or idea in terms of with the redeem team, uh, for people that don't know, um, the U S lost to Argentina in, in 2004 and the Olympics they actually lost to Puerto Rico by like 20 earlier that yeah. tournament that people don't really know about, which was, is kind of funny, um, because they're technically the same country. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they got Kobe Bryant, um, uh, I almost said Shaq, uh, LeBron, um, and kind of Dwayne Wade and all those guys to, to commit to playing in their world championships. And then in 08, and they beat this marvelous Spain team with Gasols and Rubio and Rudy Fernandez, who's still kicking it for Spain and all those guys. So, um, you can see that here where Shea and Nikhil and, uh, Dwight Powell and Kelly Olenek all played last summer for Canada. And then they came back this year, although Dylan Brooks wasn't there and Lou Dort and RJ Barrett weren't, but they had played in 2021. So there was more continuity than ever before, really, with this group. And I think you could see that on the court. Um, it, there's going to be very interesting decisions going forward in 2024. Do you let an Andrew Wiggins join? I think Jamal Murray, if he wants to be there, was part of the commitment, even though he never played. Um, he did go to camp. So um, I'd imagine Jamal Murray's there unless... Uh, injury or maybe even the Nuggets go deep in the playoffs again, which is possible. Um, okay, let's move on to the actual on-court play. They didn't make. They did not make this look easy. First of all, because <laughs> like you beat France, you're like, oh, it's kind of like you're on good roads, and then Brazil happens. But your first, let's move on. Moving to the group stage. Um, what are your? Well, okay, sorry, your overall reaction. So including the whole thing, did they surprise you? Did they meet your expectations? Like, did you expect them to make the Olympics? Or were you like, um, this is this exceeded my expectations a little bit? Yeah, no, I, I said if they made the quarterfinals, they'd make the Olympics. And they made the quarterfinals, as you said, by the skin of their teeth in that crazy Spain game. So I thought um, they had a pretty good chance, but because of the draw they had, obviously playing France to start the tournament, if they were to have lost that game, it would have been really tough for them to, to make it to the quarterfinals. Um, and then obviously Spain, um, Latvia, even without Porzingis, obviously we saw how they did. They came fifth in the tournament, um, very good side. So uh, overall, um, just a crazy <laughs> nerve wracking couple games that lost to Brazil just should never happen. Felt like the old scars of Canada basketball losing to some team they should never lose to. Although shout out to Bruno Caboclo because he was really good to me. Um but uh, yeah, so um, overall, just they really were, they really sh like, it, like it's tough in FIBA, especially when you haven't played together consistently. And you could tell that through the games, for the most part, they grew as a team. And uh, that's really like, I think kind of the exclamation point of that is, is the way they beat the USA. And even though um, it wasn't maybe like the easiest win, obviously, in overtime but just the the fact that they were able to beat the usa they probably couldn't have played that well at the beginning of the tournament and beat a team of that caliber and jordy fernandez talked about each game they wanted to get better and i thought for the most part they did with a couple hiccups and uh this group will have learned a lot going into the olympics and i'd imagine the core of the team will be the same so uh just amazing tournament um it was very close. It was very touch and go of this team not being at the Olympics. And we have to think about an Olympic qualifier like every other year and 
those don't seem to go very well for Canada. So um, they did it. That Spain game will just be something that all Canadian fans relish for so, so long. And then this USA game was the cherry on top. So uh, an amazing tournament and uh, they played awesome and look no further to Shea Gilgis Alexander and, and Dylan Brooks who really led the way. I think people don't realize like this third place game, um, just fast forwarding a little bit here, um, I'm not a big fan of third place games, right? But in this in this case, I am because they've never won a medal, right? The confidence boost. Now, like you mentioned, maybe other media outlets will look at this and be like, okay, we have something real. And then they look at the team they beat, it's the U.S. Granted, yeah, it may not be their star players, but it's still the USA basketball, right? So, um, it's it was big this game to get this win and get like the whole country to notice. Uh, even if they wake up, you know, this morning and re- saw saw the game uh, replay or highlights. Yeah, no, I I was talking to some people and I I thought, in a weird way, Canada beating the USA in a bronze medal was probably better for the whole program and the notoriety of this program than it would be if Canada had made the final and lost to a non-USA team just because beating the USA in Canada is always something special and always kind of means to like, it just gets more attention. I've got a lot of media requests already. And I think that's probably because they beat the USA and not because they beat Serbia, no offense to Serbia or Germany, right? It's just not the same. So, and it's just such a statement to, to kind of put this program on the, the map with kind of a, a thump um, just with that win and also the way they did it. And you look at, just the way Dylan Brooks played, which is another story in and of itself. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I disagree with third place games aren't uh, kind of important, but um, in in these kind of settings, like where it is like a you know a World Cup or a World Championship, um, that the fact that they have a medal coming home to Canada, like I think about guys like Kelly Olynyk, Dwight Powell, Melvin Edgem, Phil Scrub. Shout out to Carlton. Um, yeah, and he's a BC guy too. So I guess for you guys as well, yeah. but um, just those kind of guys that plied their trade for so long and they finally have some hardware that really they can, you know, I think Dwight Powell said that's something that you can live with forever as a medal and, and that's what they're going to have. And um, hopefully they'll uh, get another medal and maybe a bit shinier and maybe a yeah. bit more older um, next year in Paris. Um, okay. So going back to the, the games again, what was the in your when you're watching it in Jakarta and then back home? What was the difference you've noticed in the Brazil and Serbia games compared to the game, rest of the games, especially Slovenia, Spain, and even today with the U.S.? Like what worked then and what didn't work with the Brazil games? Yeah, well, Brazil I think was just super athletic, and Canada just had a really off shooting night, and I think they probably got a pretty complacent as well. Um, just in the fact that they had beat, they had gone 3-0 in their group. Brazil was kind of the easy game, it seemed like, before the Spain game. And uh, Brazil had an amazing game plan. They basically forced Canada to, to shoot and make perimeter shots. They had Bruno in the paint, which didn't help guys like SGA and RJ get to the rim. Um, and then Canada, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker hits the side of the backboard and airballs an open three. Um, if he makes one or probably both of those shots, um, Canada probably wins the game. So kind of everything went wrong in that Brazil game. And Brazil was smart, forced Canada to score. Canada did not play very well and got complacent. Um, now with the Serbia game, I think that's more indicative of, of what the challenges will be like in the Olympics. And you could see how they almost lost to Spain. Very similar teams, really smart. They have size, they can shoot. They played together forever, um, and you really see that in in the way Canada lost to Serbia and the struggles they had um, against Spain is that they had that lack of size. You look at Dwight Powell; he's you know an undersized center um, against Milutinov, who who kicked his butt, and then also Willie Hernan Gomez, who almost kicked his butt. Um, and then at the same time, Canada just doesn't have that. Uh, at least this iteration of this team doesn't have a lot of outside shooting. And so their offense got a bit muddied in, in stretches um, and, and as well, just the playmaking as well uh, outside of SGA, they don't really have guys that can uh, create for others. Um, and then on defense, they just weren't big enough. Right. Um, and just, it's hard going against teams that move and cut and 
run around you and can all shoot. It's just really hard to defend um, when the team has that, those types of continuity and uh, assets and, and you're more a bit more ISO-y, um, a bit less size, um, meaning you might have to pick up more fouls like you saw in the Serbia game as well for Canada. So those are the kind of differences and I think the challenges this team will face. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to to really address size too, too much. Maybe a Brandon Clark, maybe a Ken Birch come into the fold. But I think in regards of shooting, Jamal Murray would be very helpful. Um, and a couple other, maybe Andrew Wiggins, maybe Andrew Nemard, those guys would help. And then just in terms of playmaking, Jamal Murray, I think in the first four games of the NBA Finals had over 10 assists. So that shows you there's just another guy, one for, for SGA that not all the defense is just all going to SGA probably frees him up. Maybe he doesn't have to play 40 minutes. Um, and then they'll just have another shooter and score and release valve that they didn't have on this team because if you shut down SGA, uh, other than maybe Dylan Brooks a couple times, uh, you kind of shut down Canada. And if uh, Jamal Murray's there, um, that, that might not be the case, or I don't think it will be the case. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So actually let's stick with that. Um, I was going to ask you about the flaws. You kind of touched based on them. Um, I, I was messaging you this morning while the game was going on. I did mention that SGA Murray thing. Cause you know, some people might say Jamal Murray not being there may have made it easier for sure, but clearly team USA, I disagreed with that. And team USA, they have Steve Kerr, Eric Spolstra, Ty Lue as your coaches. Like they're no slouches or top level coaches. So they knew what they were doing, which is why Kanda kind of choked late at that moment. Um, that secondary ball handler in Jamal Murray is huge, like you mentioned. Is there any others outside of the two of them that you see could come in and fill that role? I know they had Trey Bell Haynes, but he didn't play much. And then I know I heard, I think Dan Shulman, I'm talking on Sportsnet 650 here about Pangos and Corey Joseph as well. Yeah, so Kevin Pangos, for people that don't know, he's a, he played for Gonzaga for a while. Um, I believe with Kelly Olenek, if I'm not mistaken, but he he's a really good FIBA player. He's kind of like a Steve Nash light, very good shooter, uh, pretty good playmaker, but pretty undersized. Um, he was originally going to be on this team and he pulled out because of basically injury. Corey Joseph, I I, th- I don't think was, uh, I don't want to say he was cut, but there was maybe mutual kind of, he, he probably wasn't going to get the playing time he wanted, didn't want to go all the way to Jakarta. Um, so that's an option who would, if you put his hand up, I'd imagine would be on the roster next time and, and is an upgrade over Trey Bell Haynes as much as, you know, he put in a really good shift, as you say, in soccer uh, for for Canada. Um, and then um, I think Andrew Nemhart's the one that I think of the most. Just to, He's played, for people that don't know, he was actually in the 2019 World Cup as like an 18, 19-year-old for Canada um, and has that FIBA experience, played with RJ Barrett for Canada here in Ottawa in 2018 as teenagers. Um, and he's just a, he's a decent shooter, um, can playmake pr- at a pretty high level, and I think would just be a very much an, an overall upgrade on, on Trey Bell Haynes. So um, I think that those are the maybe two or three type of players that would be uh, options for Canada and, and most likely would be um, considerably better than, than Trey Bell Haynes on top of, if you add Jamal Murray, you might not even really be playing those guys that much in the big games, just because you're, you're um, kind of stacking those two guys up and, and, um, staggering, sorry, those two guys, minutes and SGA and Murray, so that they're always on the court at all times for Canada. Um, for one player that who had a good rookie year, in my opinion, was ben, Benedict Matherin. So, what do you think are his chances of making the team? Um, I don't like his chances. I would say, um, one, there's less roster spots in FIBA than in the NBA. If there's a 15 man um, roster, I think he'd be on it. Um, because it's only 12, you think, let's say, like again, I always have to say this, presuming health, but let's say all all of the Canadian players that were healthy and playing at this World Cup are next year. Um, I imagine all seven NBA players are there. You add in a Jamal Murray, you add in maybe a, a Pangos or you know a point guard, um, Nemhard, Corey Joseph, you're at nine players. Um, then you have probably another big, either Kyle Alexander, Zach Eady, I don't think will probably be on the team. Maybe Brandon Clark, maybe Ken Bircher at 10. Um, and then uh, maybe an Andrew Wiggins, then you're at 11. And so are you bringing the guy in that's going to, like he's not really a pastor, 
He's very much a scorer. I don't really see a role on his team, this team right now with RJ Barrett. Um, they're not exactly similar players, but do a similar kind of outcome on the court as in just like ball dominant scores. Um, so I just don't really see a role for Ben Matherin. Now, maybe he's on the team. I'm, you know, I don't know. Maybe guys pull out, maybe injuries happen and it makes sense. But if everyone's healthy, I don't really see a role for him. And he's never played. In, he played actually at the U19 for FIBA um, in 2021 when they won. A, I believe he was on the All-Star team when they won a bronze medal. Um, but uh, I just don't see a role with him unless he makes a huge jump and players get hurt. Um, that goes the same for Shaden Sharp that I, I've heard, seen a lot of people talk about Shaden Sharp. The guy has unlimited potential, but look at the USA. Like a lot of these guys, like Brandon Ingram did not play well. And he's an all, like a two-time all-star because he's not really suited for the FIBA game unless he's getting the ball all the time. And that's kind of what I see for Ben Matherin. And then for Shaden Sharp, just not as enough experience um, in just like the highest moments. I don't think coaches would trust him. And on such a talented roster, I just don't see a fit for him right now. In 2028, uh, those two players are probably going to have prominent roles for this team. Um, sticking with the little flaws, as you mentioned, the lack of... Okay, so clearly, uh, a lot of the players you just mentioned were guards, maybe wing players. The depth in the bigs isn't that great, right? Yeah. Like, Zach Eady came in today, did not do well. And you mentioned Brandon Clark. First off, with Brandon Clark, I knew he was injured. Was he one of those guys that was on that three-year commitment? No, no, he no. wasn't. Okay. But, like, a guy like him, for example, like, I'm not saying can if Kanda gets an elite big, like, I'm not Jokic and B, we know this team would be out, out of the world, even Carl Anthony Towns, right? But you look at U.S., if they had a Bobby Portis type on Canada, like a stretch big that could make... I, I, I know I might be a little off with the, how Bobby Portis plays, but a rim protector that could maybe stretch the floor, I feel like... Personally, this team would be a little bit more different as well. And I'm not sure if that Brandon Clark fits that role. I know he's a rim yeah. protector, but... Yeah, he'd, he'd be a rim protector. I think if you're playing him at the five as a backup behind Powell, um, that's kind of where I'd see him, just a, like a better version of Kyle Alexander. Um, not that it's ideal, but it's just a bit more depth. Um, and he is more of a rim protector than either Powell or... Um, Alexander is, but um, Alexander doesn't really have a lot of... Uh, offensive game at all really um so other than making threes at the end of blowout games he did it twice actually um just fun fact um but uh as a as a seven footer but yeah the 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 fact of the matter that's how i'd see it but you're right there's not a lot of bigs in the system and similar to the u.s for that matter um canada hasn't really been producing bigs um so there's not much depth you could maybe look at a chris boucher i don't really think fiba with a lot of strong guys uh, is really the best thing for a skinny uh, uh, Chris Boucher. I don't think he, he, you know, it would be the best fit um, on this roster, but that could maybe be someone that would maybe be interesting if he could shoot a bit better maybe. But yeah, the, the, the bigs are definitely going to be the problem. And, you know, we talked about shooting playmaking. Um, I think the size is the only one that they can't really address significantly um, unless they naturalize Pascal Siakam or something weird like that, um, which would be kind of fun, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, the slow starts. I think that's what, you know, they came back in the France game. They did that in the Spain game. But like the theme of this tournament was they do not like to make it easy, right? How much of that do they need to fix? And is it just simple, just get your mind right in the first, you know, second to the last and that's it? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I asked them every, it seemed as though every single game I'd ask them those questions in Jakarta and um, they had decent starts against Slovenia, um, not a good start against Serbia, but a, a very good start today, by far their best start of the tournament against the USA. Um, so I don't really know how to answer that other than maybe it's experience, maybe um, some of it I think was just Shea would have slow starts. And, you know, as I mentioned before, um, the team kind of went as Shea went, right? Being, in my opinion, the best player in the tournament who played the best in this FIBA World Cup and, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So when he started pretty uh, confidently and aggressively, this team played well. If you look at the uh, the USA game, look at the Slovenia game when he was a bit more timid 
or just not making shots like he did against Spain and France and Latvia where he had cold starts. Um, the team had cold starts. So um, I don't really have an answer, but other than the fact that if Shea was cold in the first quarter, that was pretty indicative or first half, it was pretty indicative, indicative of Canada having a slow start. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So um, flipping on a positive note here, the strength, a lot of it, I'm, I'm assuming it was that perimeter defense. You have Lou Dort, you have Dylan Brooks, who was, I think, believe named defensive player yep. of the tournament. Um, and we'll get into Dylan Brooks in a second. But was that like the main strength that helped them propel their offense and transition and then help Shea as well throughout? Yeah, I felt I did find though against the USA, against the better teams, it was a bit harder for them to get in transition. But, um, and their defense, you could tell, just waned a little bit more because of team size. But yeah, that was their strength, right? Like you have two ball hawks in, in Dylan Brooks and Lou Dort um, at the perimeter. Even Shea gets a lot of steals. He kind of gambles, but. He gets a lot of steals from those reaching behind the player with his long arms. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker as well played really good defense. I can still see him hounding, I believe his name was uh, uh, Nunez, the, the 19-year-old point guard for um, for Spain at the end of that game. Yeah. Uh, just He was just amazing. He's super long as well. So that's definitely was their best part of their defense was just forcing turnovers. Um, creating a lot of pressure on the ball, meaning that teams would have to take a bit longer in sets. But the, uh, that, you know, against the better teams, it's a bit, it got exposed a little bit. Um, and hopefully um, that's, I think, why you saw Jordy Fernandez go to the Lou Dort instead of Kelly Olynyk was just because they needed everyone on the court to be a good defender because Kelly Olynyk was pretty poor, honestly, as the tournament went on. And, uh, um, because of their lack of size um, and him being on the court a lot of the time, they just made their defense kind of falter quite significantly. But when they just went to all guards and Powell, their defense definitely stepped up and their um, offense did as well because they were forcing a bit more in transition. And RJ Barrett was the prime recipient of, of those kind of opportunities. Outside of Shea and now I guess Dylan Brooks too, who impressed you the most? Because I think the obvious answer was going to be Dylan Brooks, but yeah, no, that that and even before maybe the quarterfinals or maybe this, uh, well, the Spain game, I I would have said Dylan Brooks and it would have made sense because it was underrated. Now he's probably almost overrated, um, because of how well he's been playing. Um, I would have said Nikhil Alexander Walker, but he was very up and down. Um, I thought RJ was pretty up and down, so I, I'd say probably. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker just in a FIBA setting um, even though he didn't play great against the USA he just was a pretty good six man created a lot for his teammates a decent passer um, I'm not sure what he finished with but for the majority of the tournament he was over 40% from three um, and I think just in a in a FIBA setting he's he's very good in terms of he can create his own shot he can play make for others he shoots which this team really needs uh to like kind of improve upon um and uh so i i really liked his game and and he played really well in 2021 so um those are some of the things that uh like i really liked in him and, and lou dort was great uh shot selection was not so great but uh lou dort obviously was really good um i thought rj um was up and down so i, I won't give it to him because everyone knows rj barrett because of the knicks and everything else um so i'll, I'll say nikhil um, okay, let's stick. Um, I'm gonna get your thoughts on a couple players. Dylan Brooks is the first one to bring up. Now, before this tournament, we all know. I mean, as a Laker fan, we saw uh, the Memphis series, right, against the Lakers. He made some comments, the poke the bear comments on LeBron, and ever since then, not, not even then, he has some dirty play. I'm not saying he's a dirty player, but he had like dirty play moments where his reputation took that hit. And then when the season ended, it was like it came out reports think, by Shams, I believe. Oh yeah, and like Memphis says, no, no matter what, they're not gonna take Dylan Brooks. Well, clearly he got a contract in Houston. Whether he'll live up to that or not, we'll find out. But people don't realize that his, his the offense is a bonus. Like his his he's there mainly for the defense, right? And how much of this is now an eye opening for the rest of the world that like, hey, this guy you might hate him as a Canadian fan. I love him now, right? Like yeah. <laughs> as a Canadian yeah. fan, I love him, and maybe he'll help those young guys in Houston along with Fred Van Vliet um, build up their reputation and their defense and their grit. 
Yeah, I mean, what a tournament he had. Like, I mean, out of all the players in this tournament, he had as much as maybe Dennis Schroeder took a big step forward for Raptors fans. I still believe in the end, Dylan Brooks before this tournament was such a villain was, you know, his stock, as Bill Simmons would say, would be plummeting down. And after this tournament, it just went the opposite direction. Like everyone wants to buy uh, Dylan Brooks stock. So um, yeah, for the, for the Rockets, for me personally, before this tournament, my worry was his shot selection. And sure, I don't know if he's going to always shoot. I think his true shooting percentage was 76%, which is just ridiculous. And he shot 58% from three. I don't think that's going to happen for the Rockets. Um, but if he's closer to a, like a high 30s, close to 40% shooter, uh, bring that defense. Um, his shot selection, for the most part, was pretty good. Um, now, he made all these tough shots as well, which I didn't really know he had in his bag until... Uh, this tournament um overall uh, what he brought to canada um, was amazing he is on that line right he got kicked out of the um the slovenia game thankfully it didn't matter he got a bunch of flagrants almost got a second flagrant in that spain game down the stretch which probably would have been uh canada's undoing so he likes to live on that edge similar to a draymond green and other people like that um so uh, but I mean, if you're a Houston Rockets fan, you just must be over the moon uh, that you're getting a player like him who will just bring so much for the culture and all his teammates being down there in Jakarta really liked him. Um, you could tell uh, how much, you know, he's a team player. Like it wasn't me, me, me as much as he took a bunch of crazy shots and made them all. Um, he, you know, he's definitely a team first player. He plays with a lot of effort um, and uh Man, oh man, it'll be really interesting to see what he looks like in the NBA again because a lot of what people hated was just him taking 14 shots and going 4 of 14. But uh, if he if he's more like 7 of 14 consistently, um, that's one heck of a player. And even if he just shoots a bit less and stays efficient, um, Houston has got a really good one and probably got a, an amazing deal for only paying him $20 million a year. Um, he's definitely like a FIBA type player too, right? In, in my opinion, like the physicality and everything, like you mentioned. Yeah, no, he he really seemed to lo- like it and and enjoy it and get in people's faces and um, you know, maybe get away with a lot. He did get a lot of fouls for, you know, grabbing and and so it was it was very up and down. Um, so he got a lot of fouls, but overall, I'm sure the game definitely suited him more than the NBA. Um, just in terms of the physicality and he was such a phenomenal player um, and on the defensive end as you guys mentioned just um, you know he he had a lot of defensive plays in this game not just offensive right like at the end uh, blocking Austin Reeves at the end of regulation uh, I can think of one where it was in transition I think Mikhail Bridges went down the lane when the game was tied late in the fourth and he you know blocked him and then he went out of bounds with the ball but he basically stopped an easy layup or in transition for Mikhail Bridges. So overall, fantastic player. And uh, well, let's see how he does in the NBA. Uh, for people who don't realize at home, Dylan Brooks at the beginning at the free throw line was getting booed. And in the USA yeah. game, he was getting MVP chance. So that's how much of a rise he had in his talk. <laughs> yeah, no, he, I remember in the first game against France, he got booed. And then at the end, he was getting an MVP chance within the same game. I've never seen that ever like watching basketball from afar. That is one of the, you know, 360 turnarounds I've never seen, but uh, people seem to hate him because they knew him from the NBA and LeBron. And then uh, they seem to love him by the time uh, the game was over and they had seen him for 40 minutes. So uh, that's just the way it went. Um, another player, um, RJ Barrett, you mentioned earlier. I think the one word I describe it in, describe of him as like frustrating right like even in this game it's like rj you hit that three we're in it the next possession he hits a tough layup or whatever in your opinion is he the most frustrating player as well to watch on, on this team this yeah i'd say so like he he had those one of nine shooting games one of ten i believe those were the two against brazil and then against france i believe um off the top of my head um in the in this game today he had these dumb turnovers and dumb shots um, in, in crucial moments. And then he made these huge, huge, you know, big, 
like uh, a lot of pressure clutch shots. So he was very up and down. Um, I still think he forces a little bit too much. Um, he obviously likes to go to his left um, a lot, um, but maybe just picking and choosing when to attack the defense, right? Like a couple of times he just run into three, four guys around the rim. Um, but then later in the game, he realizes, oh, Austin Reeves is on an island in transition. Let me just attack him and get a big layup. So um, I think the decision-making is big for him. Obviously, if he could be a better shooter, that'd be great. But he was 4 of 8 today in the biggest game of the tournament for Canada. So um, he, he seems to definitely step up for his country. But uh, man, or, man, he is very... Um, it was more, he, he played the way I thought Dylan Brooks would have played before this tournament where you, you love what he does and then he just does a bunch of boneheaded things. Um, Dylan Brooks just couldn't do not do no wrong while uh, RJ definitely did a little bit. Um, but in a lot of ways, if RJ played really well, Canada played really well. Um, I know I said that about SGA, but you could say the same about RJ. Um, and, and today he had, I think, 23 and was four of eight. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't make all those threes and all those shots at the rim, Canada probably doesn't win this game. So even with uh, the bad turnovers and a couple bad shots. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm rooting heavily for him as a Canadian fan, right? Because, like, he was touted as the number one guy before Zion and Ja had, like, their crazy college um, freshman years or uh, college years. And then, and then in the end, Sorry, in the NBA, I think because his potential is there, I think that's what makes him really frustrating. It isn't like, whereas Dylan Brooks was a second-round pick and then he had all this drama before the tournament, whereas with RJ, it's like he got the contract, he's on the Knicks, so it is worldwide. And, you know, as a Canadian basketball fan, and I know um, you as well, it's like, come on, RJ, we're rooting for you. Don't kind of make me look dumb here. <laughs> like, I'm trying to defend you here. Yeah, no, um, for sure. Uh, but I mean, he has that pedigree. You can tell like, how much it means to him. Obviously, his his dad went to the Olympics, and uh, you know he was pretty emotional when he found out he was going to the Olympics. But um, yeah, um, I think he's never really been on a team that really suited him. And even this Canadian team, um, I'd really like to see him maybe in the Olympics in a six man role, where maybe there's a couple more shooters on the court where he's not going into the paint and there's a lot of help even though in FIBA there's no defensive three seconds for the defense at this, um, there's still Canada did not have the type of shooting that might've really helped them kind of open up. Like you think about Ben Simmons playing with Joel Embiid, it's not the exact same comparison, but that was not the ideal kind of way for uh, Ben Simmons, who at the time was good um, to, to play uh, because he had someone clogging in the paint. And um, with RJ, he's had Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, and for Canada, it's more just Dwight Powell a little bit and just like Lou Dort, um, and uh, who's just not a great shooter um, and, and, and otherwise. So um, let's see how he does uh, next summer for Canada. Before we move on to the coaching by Jordi Fernandez, how important is it as Canadian basketball fans and the media uh, to recognize the players that did not make this team? Um, not saying like not like Andrew Wiggins and them. I'm talking about the Tom Scrubs, for example. Tom, I, I think his name's Thomas Scrub. Uh, it's Phil Scrub and Tommy Scrub, but Phil Scrub was um, on. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry, I'm talking about the brother, so Tom, Tommy Scrub, yeah, like, yeah. who never made the team, but were big factors of helping this team get to this point, right? Because like the qualify, I believe if I'm not mistaken, the qualification is throughout the year, so it's not like the NBA and all these guys weren't always there. So. In your guys, uh, in your opinion, as the media, how important is it for guys like us and other basketball fans in Canada to recognize those players as well? Oh, just huge! Like they got them there. Like, uh, <laughs> um, I believe the SGA and uh, like the NBAers only played in three or four out of the twelve qualification games. I could be mistaken on the total, but um, of how many they had, but they only played in three or four because they'd have games in February and like Venezuela and it's all these guys, you know, taking 12 flights to get there. And as I know, doing uh, t uh, Ottawa to Jakarta, taking all those flights across the world is, you know, a big commitment and takes a lot out of you just to play a game where you're not getting paid. And it's just for the pride of your country. Right. Um, so you have to shout out Tommy Scrub, um, Connor Morgan, Kyle Wiltshire, um, you know, Cassius Robertson, who wasn't on the team, because of an injury but those types of players that that stood out 
uh, Cadre Gray, just a bunch of guys that that came to all those games and obviously the scrubs that um, when no one really uh, like, you know, they didn't need to, uh, they sacrificed for their country. So they deserve a huge amount of credit because Canada only lost one game, I believe, in the qualifiers. And that's because of those guys' commitments. So um, huge props to them. And um, hopefully my kind of, I hope like a guy like Melvin Edgem, who's been on this program forever, is maybe that last player on the on the squad in, in Paris, just as maybe a symbol for, for those kind of guys that um, pushed through and really led the way even when uh, there wasn't NBA guys and sacrificed so much for this program. Okay, let's get into the coaching. Jordi Fernandez replaces Nick Nurse, you know, relatively, what, six weeks before the tournament started, if I'm not mistaken? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, two months, yeah. Yeah, your overall thoughts, were you surprised of how he got the troops together? And obviously there were ups and there were some downs, but your overall thoughts of Jordi Fernandez, who's kind of auditioning for a head coaching position as well in the NBA. Yeah, I thought he did a great job. Um, I would have loved if he he called a bit more timeouts to to stop runs. That would have been nice. Um, but other than that, I thought he made the right adjustments in the right games for the most part. Um, obviously, the Brazil game he probably wants back. Um, I don't think against Serbia he really could have done much. They all got in foul trouble. Um, so there's so much you can do. Um, but no, I thought he did a great job. He the players clearly liked him. Um, he clearly was forceful with the players. I, I don't know if people saw, but him, uh, the videos of him during timeouts kind of chewing out his team. Um, and then after the game, I remember I asked him about after Brazil, like about the team. And he said like SGA needs to be better. Olenek needs to be better. RJ needs to be better um, in a press conference. Right. So I uh, wasn't afraid to pull punches and um, overall, you have to give him a lot of credit because this team played for the most part really well as a unit um, considering their lack of continuity uh, and uh, they made the Olympics, right? And, and no Canadian coach has done that for 24 years. Um, and really you have, I think you have to, Yearns his plaudits for maybe the way they beat France um, and, and beating Spain and, and the USA um, just really tough games where he really pushed the right buttons and um you know, I think about how he took out Kelly Olynyk to start the the second half against Spain, which was the right move um, to to really put all that ball pressure on the Spanish guards, and that really led the way in terms of Canada coming back in that game. So deserves a lot of credit. Very, you know, I did an interview with him. He's a very serious guy. Uh, likes to quote Canadian artists all of a sudden, so that's always funny <laughs> um, with the Arkells. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think the NBA's around the corner in terms of a head coaching job. Uh, We'll see what happens there. I hope that it doesn't affect him at least being the coach in through to to Paris. Um, We'll see. Um, But uh, uh, did an amazing job and uh, hopefully he can stick along in Paris and and get Canada a medal. Um, So what was the difference? Uh, Because you've obviously watched more Canada basketball than we have. Nick Nurse came aboard in 2019. Was there any like key difference you've seen between the two? Yeah, I'd say Jordy Fernandez is a bit more conservative in his plays, right? He's not throwing out box and ones and weird <laughs> junky defenses. Um, but so I, I'd, I'd say just more conservative for the most part. Um, but he still used different plays. Like you, sh- people should check out my my colleague Jonathan Chen, who had a really detailed um, piece about maybe the differences and the similarities between Nick Nurse and, and uh, Jordy Fernandez at Raptors Republic. So, um, but uh, for the most part, I'd say just more conservative and I'd say probably more from everything I've heard, probably much more of a player's coach than maybe Nick Nurse was, who's maybe the master tactician who might not always be the the best with kind of, he's not necessarily known as a player's coach. So Jordy Fernandez is known as that. And um I mean, did an amazing job, and uh, uh, who knows what would have happened if Nick Nurse was still there, but, uh, you know, full praise to, to Jordy. Um, other teams, now, moving away from Canada basketball a little bit here, you were in Jakarta, you watched, um, obviously, other games, I'm assuming. So who are some <laughs> other teams that surprised you the most and maybe disappointed you in a, as well, and some players as well? Yeah, I mean, France for disappointments was, you know, they won the silver medal they were i was talking to the journalists here they're they're they were going for gold and they 
were out after two games. So uh, pretty disappointing for the French. Rudy Gobert uh, never ceases to disappoint sometimes. Uh, he had a terrible tournament. And uh, Evan Forney played okay, but um, that was the clear loser of this tournament, in my opinion. Even though they ha- they were dealt tough cards, and in retrospect, Latvia came fifth, Canada came third. They had a really, really tough group, but um, they were still very disappointing. The way they lost to Canada, they were in full control against Latvia. Sorry. Um, and then, uh, you know, found a way to lose that game at the end. And uh, Rudy Gobert was a, a big part of that. So um, that's... That's my one um, kind of team of disappointment. And and to go from switching sides, the Latvians, right? They had this amazing, amazing crowd. Felt as though you're in like Riga and Latvia at some of those games in Jakarta, just with all the fan support. Um, met a lot of Latvian journalists, which was really cool. Um, made some connections there. Big hockey fans there. Um, they they won the bronze medal at the World Hockey Championships this year in uh in latvia that they held and it was like a national parade or or kind of celebration the day after so big hockey fans as well um but to to go to their team they had a guy named joggers who's just like really short like maybe six foot point guard who does behind the back passes he had 17 assists against lithuania i believe uh in the in the fifth place game could shoot he was really fun to watch davis bertans uh, is just Davis Bertans. If people don't know, he likes to take a lot of threes from deep and does not a lot else. But uh, that was their only NBA player. But they just played super well together. And their their coach actually won coach of the tournament, uh, Luca Bonchi, um, an Italian. So um, overall, they were just really, really fun to watch. When they played Canada the first quarter, they were up 23-13 and they were just throwing Canada around. They were playing great defense, basically forcing Canada to make perimeter shots in a type of zone um i thought they were super well coached um played really fun basketball and then they were um obviously there was their first world cup ever they had been to and then they made the uh the quarterfinals in game fifth so good on them and and they were definitely the surprise of the tournament the best best part is that they did it without Przingis. (laughs) yeah yeah which was a, a point of contention for a lot of latvians that he didn't show up but uh, you know we had Jamal Murray who didn't show up, so uh, it, it, it was it was an even playing field. Um, okay, sticking with that theme, the players, right? Like I have a note here. I wrote NBA players are ballers. Now, obviously, we know Rudy Gobert struggled. Evan Fournier was decent. There's a reason why a lot of these players internationally as well make the NBA or on NBA rosters at one point. The players I noted, Bruno Caboclo, someone that you've mentioned who who played yeah. well for Brazil, was once upon a time on an NBA roster. Rondé Hollis Jefferson, right? It was like Kobe. getting Kobe comparisons a lot too. So for those people, and I, I, this is more of a funny take, but like I want you to just get your opinion on too. I'm sure you've met your fair share of people that say, oh, this player's a bomb. Why? He's like, I'm, he's just sitting on the bench, 12th player on the NBA bench. I'm sure I could do better, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know how people like to exaggerate. This shows that like NBA players are ballers because I've just mentioned two names that were in the NBA that may deserve to go back in the NBA now. Same guys like Devin, uh, Dennis Schroeder, Mo Wagner. Um, like they, they for their country, they go all they go crazy. There's a reason why they're in the NBA, right? Yeah, Willie Hernan Gomez as well. Uh, yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, I would just say like the the the, the thing that's really funny is just that. Um, you think about Rondé Hollis Jefferson and he couldn't score in the NBA and what's he doing putting up 40 pieces and 35 pieces for um for for Jordan um and uh it was just phenomenal to see um and then you know the rest is history but yeah I I I also would say that at the same time you realize that how good players are that aren't in the NBA right like I think about Milutinov and all these other guys for Serbia for um Germany there's that Ups guy who just made every three for Germany um so the talent around the world I think is at a level it's never been at and um I think that's kind of what I I, I learned from the this tournament is that the rest of the world is, is catching up to the USA at the same time if you're the 15th man on an NBA roster guess what you're pretty damn good at basketball um, that that doesn't mean you're a scrub, uh, even if you're a Kwame Brown or someone like that, um, or or uh, I'm trying to think of a more Ben Simmons now or whoever, yeah. um, or Anthony Bennett, etc. So um, yeah, if you're in the NBA, you're pretty damn good. 
Um, that doesn't mean that because you're in the NBA that you're going to be better than someone abroad. And at the end of the day, basketball is a team game, right? And you could see like the two teams in, in the finals only had maybe, I mean, Germany had, I think, five or six NBA guys and uh, um, Serbia had a two or three and they were in the finals. And guess what? Canada had seven. Australia had like nine. Uh, USA obviously had 12 and, and they weren't the, the finalists. So just because you have NBA players doesn't mean that you're uh, the the best team because basketball is a team game and, and there's a lot of talent uh, all around and you have to win as a team, not as it's not who can, you know, win the most in one-on-one against another uh, from each country. And that's the winner. It's no, you have to, to win as a team out there on the court. So that's maybe my, my biggest takeaway. All right. So last question here, do we piss off the USA so that like in the Olympics, they're going to get like LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, all these guys back in just to like show them who they really are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we piss them off. Uh, we sh- it's always fun to beat the USA because um, they're always arrogant uh, or there's that definitely that contingent of their fan base. That is, it'll be really interesting to see who goes to the Olympics, right? Steph Curry has never been to an Olympics. Um, his career is winding down. Um, I mean, he's still amazing, but um we'll see who's there but i don't think i think the era of them of the usa being the prohibited favorites at these tournaments is gone you think about who was the top i guess in top five in mvp voting this year there was one uh one american because shea was fifth right it was Giannis. i mean Embiid maybe is american now i don't know but really isn't an american like through and through um Giannis, Jokic, shea right and i think the fourth in mvp uh, voting was i believe tatum there's also luca too so a lot of the best players in the world are not american now right unlike maybe 20 years ago and, and certainly in 1992 when you think about the the dream team so uh the the, the basketball world's closing and it's going to be fun to see um the usa when i think you know i don't i'd take the field over the usa at the olympics um if i had to bet um, who's going to win the gold medal. I don't think it's USA or the presumptive favorites. I, I think they should be the favorites, but um, should they be over the field? I wouldn't think so. Um, as I said, they only beat France at the last Olympics by five points because Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. Um, you know, it's it's definitely different. And um, if they just keep throwing teams together with no continuity, uh, I actually maybe like Canada's chances a bit more if they add a Wiggins and a, and a Jamal Murray and maybe, you know, an Andrew Nemard or something. Um, so uh, it would be really sweet to beat them at an Olympics and kick them out. I really hope we can do that as well, not just take away a, a medal from them like we did today, but it's pretty sweet to, to you know, kick their butt. And uh, I'm excited to listen to Bill Simmons in like 12 hours <laughs> lament the uh, Team USA and how they lost to us because Josh Hart was out there on the court in crunch time right um so uh just uh it's pretty cool that uh, canada beat them and um hopefully uh first of many all right alex um obviously we've got to let you go here we uh we appreciate you a lot for um hopping on of course. we would love to do this more we obviously like i'd love to talk to the nba with you yeah, maybe anytime bring guys. you on anytime before we let you go though quickly promote your um obviously i mentioned in the beginning promote yourself your podcast yeah, where can people is, find you I, I always do this for other people on my show so i've never had the the opportunity <laughs> to do this so thank you guys um and great stuff you guys are doing um i love how you have a very similar type of name to my podcast behind the play beyond i don't know um the <laughs> btr and everything mine's btv so um similar acronyms and everything but you guys are doing great stuff hope um you guys keep crushing it and uh i guess to shamelessly plug myself um uh obviously i'm i'm gonna be at raptors republic throughout the nba season i'm still in school so uh, i don't know if i'm gonna be all the time but you can check out some basketball stuff and, and specifically raptors stuff and then when uh probably when the women's team start to qualify for the olympics in february you'll probably see me there i hope to be in paris the next summer in some capacity so hopefully you can get my stuff there for just covering the men's team and hopefully the women's team as well um, and then my own podcast behind the play, um, I have cool people in the hockey world. Um, I have Ron McLean coming on. I'll have Steve Dangle. Um, who else? Uh, Dave Pagnota. Um, hopefully I, I, I hopefully I'm going to have D- 
Brian Windhorst, Ramona Shelburne, some big people in the basketball world. Um, it's hard to, to you know, get the, to them, but uh, they have agreed to come on. So I have some cool people coming on uh, for Canucks fans. I've had Harmon Dial, um, Farhan Lalji, Thomas Strand, some some beauties in, in the Vancouver area. Um, hopefully they can go on your show as well. Um, so uh, my one of my best friends is uh, a huge Canucks fan. So I definitely uh, know the Canucks and and uh, and I love their ownership. It always makes them really really good consistently. Uh, the way uh, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, long winded answer to say uh, yeah, check me out behind the play podcast, Raptors Republic as well. Um, you can follow me at Alex Adams BTB. Um, and yeah, thanks again, guys, for, for doing this. Definitely more than happy to do this again. Yeah. And, uh, thanks for, for, you know, listening to me for almost an hour. I, I hope I, uh, uh, made you guys a, a decent little podcast. So thanks yeah. again. No, I appreciate you much. We'll drop his links down below, Alex Adams. And uh, we love to talk hockey. I know you're a big sports guy. We were talking, yeah. chatting a little bit before we hit the record button. But once again, Alex, appreciate you. Thank you very much to everybody else watching at home. We appreciate you. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.